Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 65 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about the sci-fi channel series Stargate. Today we're talking about Darkness. The newest episode of the show aired last Friday in the U.S. Here in the U.K. just on Tuesday. I'm in the U.K. now. You are. How is it? How is Scotland? We are having a great time. It's lovely. It's raining like crazy. We had a few weeks that was that was really nice weather, and it, it just turned, and now it's raining every single day. But uh, it's beautiful up here in Scotland, and we're looking forward to getting out and seeing some of the countryside, because so far we've only seen the city streets. Do you feel like a foreigner? I do, actually. I do. It feels kind of strange. I'm not even sure how to describe it yet. We've been here for about four weeks, so as we kind of hinted at, I think, in the last few podcasts, because we got air early... We mm-hmm. did a bunch of podcasts ahead of time because I didn't mm-hmm. know how long I was going to be without internet. So this is our first show recording in about a month. Much to talk about. Ratings have come out. You know, that's one of the big things that I wanted to discuss. You know. Yep. So let's do that. Let's talk about ratings first. We were sort of guesstimating as to where SGU was going to come in for Sci-Fi Channel. Let me start by being perfectly honest. I expected the show to do better than a three i expected it to a nail 3.0 ratings ratings yes i expect the universe to resaddle stargate as the best night in terms of ratings for yeah for show. sci-fi channel rather for than sci-fi. warehouse 13 and it didn't happen stargate was up there for a long time sg1 came mm-hmm. over in season six and stargate was basically on top of the network's ratings until battlestar premiered and Atlantis premiered with a 3.2 rating, just to give it some context. That was a summer premiere. That was in July. Uh, this was before the age of DVR, again. And Warehouse 13 premiered with... Um, I, I don't remember what they premiered with. It was mid-2, 2.4, 2.5. And then they started climbing, and their ratings got better, which is huge in television. Normally, all your all your, your marketing budget goes into pushing the premiere. You get a bunch mm-hmm. of eyeballs on the premiere to check out the show, and then they mm-hmm. sort of peter off, and your premiere is almost always your highest-rated episode mm-hmm. of the season. Fall versus summer, this is also a factor to take into consideration, but Air Parts 1 and 2 earned a 1.7 rating. I was extremely disappointed at how it did. I'm, I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not trying to push the show beyond how I feel as a fan. You know, if, if I love something, I'll tell you that I love it and I'll encourage you to watch it. But I was so disappointed with those ratings. I was disappointed too. Don't compare it to the Atlantis premiere five years ago. Uh, we do have DVR to factor with. Uh, if you want to compare... I think we need to wait for the live plus seven ratings number. Takes into account the the TiVo viewing for the first week after it airs, and those are usually available about three weeks after. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen those yet. And also, it's premiering in the fall. It's up against network shows. Uh, it's it's not the same thing as the summer. Friday night death slot. I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about Dollhouse. Stargate Universe has been beating Dollhouse on Fox. You know, I don't know what's going on with Fox. Fox is putting its sci-fi shows. In, uh, in the death slot on Friday night, which is some of the least watched hours in primetime during the week. So I was disappointed. Being a realist, it, I can't say it surprises me. The marketing team did a great job. They really got the everywhere. word out. I heard a lot of people talking about the show. 
uh, before it aired. A lot of people who say they never got into Stargate decided to watch this one. Yep. A lot of people in my life, independently of me, are watching it. And yeah. that's cool. I, uh, Friday night, I came back from a, a carnival and uh, went to a friend's house first to drop because he was my ride. And his roommate was just then putting in Darkness. And he says, you want to watch it? I said, well, it's not going to be done on iTunes for a few more hours. It's still a little early for that. And as soon as I do, I want to start screen capping. So, sure, I'll watch it. And I watched it with this guy. And I made a friend. Nice. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to beat Warehouse 13. I would have loved it if it had. The really great news on the ratings front is is not so much that it uh, it's uh, doing a little bit better than episodes of Atlantis were a year ago. Uh, Atlantis had gotten down to the one two, one three, mm-hmm. one four area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 1.7 is better than that. Uh, but the good news is it went up the second week. Air Part 3 got a 1.8. So what do you think about that? I like that the numbers are going up. That's a good sign. That's a good sign that people are being engaged and they're talking about it and they're drawing other people to watch it. Yeah, anytime that you get a subsequent episode that, that does better in viewership than, than mm-hmm. a highly marketed premiere, I think is mm-hmm. a great sign. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, we gotta wait one week at a time and see how the numbers trend. But you know, at the end of the day, what do we what do we care about? We're we're hoping that the show gets picked up so we get to see more of it. And I think at this point, it would take it would take an awful lot for us not to get a season two. Our Stargate Demnopedia launched when Air Part Three aired uh, last week, and it's been receiving lots of hits. Main page has received almost thirty thousand hits now, so it's getting eyeballs. And I need to go in there and update a ton of character entries. I don't think we're going to have that many new entries for this week. Not a lot of new entries for Darkness, but there were a ton of... of character uh, stuff. Character, character moments. Info reveal. Uh-huh. Release. This is uh, the Omnipedia 2.0 relaunch, basically. We started the Omnipedia, I think we figured, six years ago. Mm-hmm. In 2003, we launched this thing. And the last couple of years, it's kind of petered out, and we focused our, our efforts on other things and... I think people have rightly criticized us for for letting it fall out of date. So mm-hmm. uh, we've relaunched it on a wiki platform that allows us to uh, keep it up to date more easily. Obviously, we have the enthusiasm over the new show yes. is going to help us go in there and keep it up to date. And then we also have uh, the ability now with the wiki software to have helpers and yes. our awesome uh, uh, contributing editors whatever titles we want to give them. Um, these guys, Colin and Quaid and Aaron, have done an awesome job helping us transfer 2,300 entries over from the old Omnipedia and then start to update them. So there's still a lot of work to do, but I think it looks great. It's really fun. We raised a couple of questions last week in our show, and uh, visual effects supervisor Mark Savella, he wrote in and answered some of our questions. Darren posed a question about the Dust Devil platform whether or not some of it was achieved practically with some kind of a sandblower, and uh, also a little bit more information about the traveling Stargate, means the on-location Stargate, and he answered these. He said, Hi, David, I just listened to podcasts for Air Part 3. Really liked it a lot. Love the theories that are already out there. Very cool to hear. Just wanted to clarify a couple of things for you guys. Dust Devils were 100% CGI. There were no practical elements used. In fact, some practical elements were even replaced completely because they did not move the way Robert and Brad wanted elements for the dust devils were 100% created in 3D as well Hmm. there were no elements shot or used for any of the shots team particle for the in-house team deserves a big shout out and the traveling gate does exist but does not spin the spinning is done with a 3D version of the gate and a 3D track 
This is the best 3D game we have ever had, and we'll see more of it in upcoming episodes. You really can't tell the difference between the real and 3D version side by side. Just wanted to let you know. Very nice job in the podcast. Best, Mark. You, you know, I, I have the, the HD version of the iTunes episodes, and I can't tell the difference. It is very well achieved. Yeah, thanks, Mark, for that email. That's that's pretty amazing, because when I saw the gate spinning in the desert stuff in Air Part 3, I thought, holy cow, could they have possibly rigged that practically to take around with them on location? On the Destiny set, that, that had to be a, a hugely expensive and, I would think, mechanically problematic rig to deal with. But, um, yeah, it looks fantastic. And the Dust Devil life form, ah... Uh, mm. You fooled me. I mean, that's that's the sort of subtle little special effects that, that I think deserve all the attention and applause in the world. You know, you've got great space battle sequences like Be All My Sins Remembered uh, mm-hmm. that, that tower over. But then these subtle little visuals, I mean, that's kind of a, a little thing, but it just looked terrific. Less visual effects in this week's episode, though, Darkness. Should we talk about let's, that? Let's jump into Darkness. Into the Darkness. So, Darkness, uh, if you've been reading along on GateWorld.net over the last few months, uh, you'll know that Darkness was originally not the first of a two-parter. Darkness and Light, which is the episode that we're going to see this this Friday, were originally called Fire. That was that was a one-shot episode, and it's directed by Peter DeLuise, who returns to the Stargate fold after being gone for about two years. And to the left. front of the screen as well. And yeah, he makes his little cameo, which is as nice. Peter. He's, so he's getting on the Peter entry. As Peter, and he has a, a line of dialogue as well. Peter Delloway's always, uh, often I should say, does these uh, cameo appearances in the episode that he's directed. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Ergo, when yeah. Ergo transforms into the dashing young officer. I like Descent. He plays Dagwood, <laughs> not to Sequest. So it was it was nice to have Peter back. He left the Stargate franchise after season 10 of SG-1. So that's been a couple of years. So what did you think of Darkness? We finally made it past the premiere to the first quote-unquote regular episode. You know, the first regular episode is very, very key as far as I'm concerned because it sets the tone for the show. All this money goes into the premieres, which is expected. But the first episode after that is really setting the tone for the show, setting the placement of the characters. You had the enemy within for SG-1, and then uh, hide-and-seek for Atlantis, and now darkness for Universe. And it's a real chance for the characters to shine. It's a good opportunity to see where the initial placement of the characters, among other characters, see who's going to gel well, see who's going to work with one another. And clearly you've got you've got Chloe connecting with Eli in this episode. They're becoming clearly friends. Eli's not going to be getting any, I don't think. You don't think so? Nah, they're buddies. Everyone loves Eli. Eli is the everyman. And we uh, we got a little bit more insight onto, into many of the different characters using the Kino device. It's moving in the direction that I want it to. Pretty quickly here, I'm going to need an episode of action, complete action, sooner or later, within yeah. the next two or three episodes. Because that was, this could get really, really slow. Uh, that was my, my first thought, and I think a lot of people's first thought was, okay, I'm liking these characters, I'm liking the way that they're they're starting to click together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the fact that, that Stargate has slowed itself down. It's not yes. all about this breakneck plot, but it's slowed itself down to get to know its people and... and sort of live in the moment. This episode was really slow. 
And uh, I didn't realize it until I'd, I'd seen it a couple times through. There's no immediate jeopardy in this episode until the very last shot when we see mm-hmm. that, that we're flying into a sun, into a star. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, okay, there's, there's a power problem. We're going to run out of power. Okay, then yep. we have run out of power. That's, that's inconvenient. And, uh, okay, we've, we've got to do something about that. There's no real tangible immediate jeopardy that's, that's really a, a plot line driving things along. You know, mm-hmm. Russia's, Russia's cranky and won't work with anybody is kind of the plot of the episode for a while. But there's, mm-hmm. no, there's no real jeopardy, I thought, until the very last shot. Which mm-hmm. makes me think this two-parter has got to hang together. Because this was a slow one. This was a slow one, and I, I, I can't take more than a, a couple of these in a row. I've been asking for this sort of thing for a long time. <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for, you may get it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I gave this episode a 9 out of 10 in the poll. All but right. sooner or later, we're going to have to pick up the pace as well and have a couple of fast ones. Um, And I imagine that's what they're saving up the money for. But the visual effects are still just incredible. This ship is so cool. You know what I like about this episode the most, I think, is that it's setting up a lot of the minor characters. And those little kino shots, little little recorded messages from, from mostly from the minor players. I don't think that there were, there were a whole lot of major characters. I guess TJ did one and Rush sort of did one. And uh, Scott did one, but for, you know, for the most part, we're looking at uh, Vanessa James is in there, uh, Hunter Riley, Lisa Park, Adam Brody, uh, all these background supporting players. Uh, Volker did did a hilarious one, so uh, you know we're getting to know Volker a lot. Obviously, Volker's in this one much more. Uh, he's he's an astrophysicist, civilian. So Air, you know, the three part premiere was largely about the main cast. This was. This was the secondary cast in a lot of ways. Maybe that's why it's still kind of moving at a slow pace. Is you expect after a pilot that that all the pieces have been set on the chessboard, and now we can move forward and tell the story and have a little bit of of a plot. And yes. this was still setting pieces onto the chessboard. It was okay. Now we have all the minor characters. We have all the pawns lining the front row, and. Uh, <laughs> That's and then the you know, what are they going to do day to day? And I love the day to day stuff, like uh, like Young and and Camille Ray running these these uh, briefing sessions in the cafeteria in the morning. Mm-hmm. Sort of, sort Baron of. Aaron Becker's cooking. What is it? Flour and water. Yeah, is that was, what it is? I don't know what it was. Maybe some kind of protein powder, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is just sort of day to day lived in feeling that it's giving to the destiny. It makes it feel real that way i love how it's being shot lighting the scene very naturally i'm getting that a lot um some scenes are too dark uh some scenes are too bright you know and and they're just going with it um, yeah some interesting lighting and and i'm noticing after the power goes out the kino scenes that we see the the actors are lighting themselves mm-hmm. they're holding yes. a little flashlight that's cool and i love that a lot of the questions that we raised are being answered you know like how are we going to charge the the, the uh, human equipment we've we've found a, and they even gave it a name for us it's some kind of a power pad so or a recharge a recharge plate i think that's what it was this is so that our radios won't die and so our flash flashlights won't die so yeah. that problem is fixed uh and i think I, rush also answered a couple other questions as well about about uh about the ship i think 
didn't they answer how old Destiny is in this one, or didn't they like give no, a better indication? You know what? I I think they actually compounded the problem, and and we'll get to that in the quibble section. What uh, of these these Kino videos? They're sort of a, a little entity of their own. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I I read, maybe it was on Joe Malazzi's blog that that some or all of them were actually recorded for air or written for air, and ended up getting bumped. I would first like to say that it, it was kind of odd, you know. They're in the middle of they're in the middle of this situation, and you know everyone's going around and and working on this problem, and then somehow Eli has time to go and record this person and take each of them away from their jobs while Scott's in the shuttle. Scott is also recording his little profile, so there was kind of a, a time shift issue. It, it made you feel like okay, this couldn't have been recorded at the, at the time yeah. in the timeline that this is saying it is. So yeah, I don't think that they were out of the shuttle. I don't think they were meant to be, yeah. Yeah. Synchronous. Uh, I enjoyed Lisa Parks a lot. Yes. Uh, the, the earthquake. I thought that that was really funny. That's uh, that's the first one I was going to bring up. Lisa Park is is a scientist of some sort. She's kind of all over the place in personality. I liked that uh, some some of the characters were a little bit more muted and subdued. I mean, you've got uh, you've got Brody, who's just. Um, you know, mistaken for a forty something. <laughs> He's younger than that. Um and then or he got... claims to be thirty six. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um Yeah. And and, and, and he's trying to do it as a dating video, which is hilarious. Exactly. Yeah, that was funny. And then you've got Volker who is um who is just feeling the disrespect and it's just really eating him alive. But yeah, Lisa Park, she she's going all out in terms of the um the science of it all. These carry a little bit of the exposition, explaining how these, how the circumstances in which we're currently wound up in are, are going to work with the gas giant. So that's cool. Instead of having a, a roundtable discussion in the uh, briefing room, the characters can talk to the Kinos and tell them about what's going on. So that's a kind of different way to handle the exposition. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah, I think Lisa Parks was my favorite. She was in air. She was just sort of a no-name standing behind a console. She had a line or two of dialogue, and now you get this little peek into who she really is, and she's, you know, funny and cute astronomy nerd, quirky little character who I hope we get to see more of. Mm -hmm. And the first one, I think, the first one was Vanessa James. You know, say what you will about the way that the character was introduced with the sex scene. She's got one line of dialogue in this little this little video she you know looks over her shoulder to make sure nobody's listening and says i don't want to die out here and Mm -hmm. boom i love that character now by recognizing the background players you know they could have done this with atlantis you know but i mean zelenka you had you did have a couple who were more i mean expository workhorses uh but you have you have the background players that that have real lives and they they are really there in the fictional universe and allowing them to have these moments with the audience gives them color and gives them depth mm-hmm. and it makes you care about them it makes you care about what's going to happen to them yeah which is why i think the keynote is a brilliant idea because in a in a show like atlantis or sg1 if it's not part of the plot, it hits the cutting room floor. Or nine times out of ten, it just doesn't get written. Because it doesn't push the story forward. And there's so little time to do that. We're still in the the getting to know you phase. We've mm-hmm. we've got to get to know these characters uh, enough t- that we actually care about them when in episode ten, their, their mm-hmm. life is threatened or there's this or that going on in the ship, which, no spoilers. 
I'm a little bit irritated that Rush is being painted as kind of the only negative character at this point. I'm hoping yeah, that a couple of other... Yeah, what's going on with Rush in this episode? I don't know. He Well, you know, he's a smoker, and he's a caffeine addict, and, you know, he has a nervous breakdown. Uh, and I love the scene with TJ afterwards. He says very clearly, I, mm-hmm. I really, really wet my pants in front of everyone. I embarrassed myself. You weren't there. It was bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And he kind of is a little bit cooler in the shuttle, you know. He kind of shares in the... Yeah, in he's the, uh, settled down a bit. Yeah. It wasn't that cool? Yes, that was pretty incredible. So he, he does have those moments. That was a good scene for TJ, though, when, when he woke up. Yes. My wife made yes. the observation that she's got a really good bedside manner. She you does. Know, everybody on the ship basically hates this guy right now, blames him for their situation. They're probably mm-hmm. never going to get home. And mm-hmm. and you know he wakes up and says you know I I really stuck my foot I made in an it. Ass of myself. <laughs> and she could have said you know serves yes, you right, did. jackass. But she doesn't. She's nice to him. Rush does a whole lot of of yelling and stomping his yeah. feet in this episode. At least before he uh, collapses. Yeah. I didn't like watching the character, frankly, in those scenes where he's just so unpleasant to be around and you know we sort of as the audience take the the perspective of of Volker walking into that room and you know Mm -hmm. I don't really want to be here I I don't know if I have anything to contribute but uh, I have to be here so is there anything I can do and he's just you know detesting and and shouting Mm -hmm. and talking down and Young says it near the beginning of the episode this guy is just a workout yeah a lot of work He's a lot of work. After Rush sort of toppled over the edge and and collapsed and then woke up uh, more in his right mind, I don't know why I was expecting him to apologize. Obviously, so was Young. Young said something to that effect. Uh, (laughs) No, I wasn't. Rush didn't apologize, and I'm starting to think, I don't know if it's possible for this guy to apologize for anything. I think that he's always going to be making excuses I was, you know, suffering from nicotine and caffeine withdrawal today, so... That's my excuse. I'm not sorry. It's the same sort of equivocation that he did with Chloe after Senator Armstrong died, you know. I didn't create the situation that led to this. I'm hoping that there are some real dark people on this ship, you know. Not everyone is naive and happy and, and go lucky and excited to be there. Like, a couple of people, it's taking everything that they have just to keep from exploding and get me the hell off this ship. You know, whatever yeah. it takes. Spencer so. was that way. The Marine Sergeant. He's the bald Marine guy who was pocketing the power bars in, in air. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his video, he basically said... I do not want to be on this ship. Get me off this ship now. He's the sort of guy, I mean, you know, Greer is supposed to be the the dangerous, unpredictable one, but right now I'm a lot more afraid of Spencer than I am of Greer. Well, yeah, you don't know him. You don't know his motivations. You don't know his relationships. You have a right to be. The visual effect of of the orbital insertion trajectory. Holy cow, that was cool. And it's nice to be in a ship that, that... we don't have total control over again reminding me of episodes like Tangent when we're in this modified death glider and we can't control it or you know back in the day when Teltax cargo ships were new to us meanwhile back on earth there's a B plot Colonel Young goes home to visit his wife this is one of the questions I have his wife or perhaps his ex-wife I'm not sure Uh, I'll I'll bring that up in a few minutes when we get to, to quibbles 
But uh, yeah, Anna Grauer's character has a name now. Emily. They don't lay all their cards out on the table as to exactly what's going on in this relationship, you know. I, I guess we learned that the, um, the the officer has informed her of the situation and that she doesn't necessarily believe it. You know, she has a Mexican guy walking up to her claiming to be her husband. So, you know, this is, this is new ground for her. And, yeah, I was wanting to know what exactly their status is, too, because she says, like, he made his choices and she made hers. So are they done? She doesn't exactly welcome him with open arms. First of all, this is new ground for Stargate. Stargate does not has Do not domestic stuff <laughs> done the domestic uh, you know relationship stuff. It's basically there is a there is a tension here. There is a marriage that is either recently over or is very much on the rocks in a whole lot yeah. of dimensions. You know that's that's not the territory that that Stargate has ever tackled before and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I'm glad that we get to see that side of these characters. You know, we got to see a little bit of Jack O'Neill and Sarah early on in season one of SG-1. Yes. But, um, you know, this is this is a part of who Colonel Young is, and I'm glad that we get to see that a bit. In the past, He's got... Really... I think that, that what it's doing in this this particular scene... I mean, Emily says it at the end, nothing's changed. So that kind of made me wonder... Why is this B plot in here? What are they accomplishing? Or, or what are they s- setting up? What are they setting up? And and what I figured was this is in here because it's establishing that Young has a reason that he really wants to get home. He's mm-hmm. fighting to get home for something versus someone like Rush who doesn't want to go home. The cast of characters typically in the past have been small enough that they want to keep everyone single. So that they can play with them and have episodes where they all get infected by a virus and start smooching one another, and you know all the and, and to keep relationship possibilities open. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice to have a couple of characters who have tied the knot and are, quote unquote, unavailable. Um, yeah, and a guy who is billions of light years from his wife and is desperately in love with his wife and wants to get back to her. And, you know, his his last tour of duty just took him a little too far. This is John from uh, North Carolina. Just calling in regards to what um, Colonel Telford was trying to do with uh, Colonel Young trying to get him replaced. And I was curious what your thoughts on that would be, how would they implement that? Would they just use the stones and have someone permanently in his body, or would they use somebody from the uh, expedition? Holy cow, he wants him out of there. Yeah, I don't know what Telford expects. I mean, the next highest-ranking person on the Destiny is a lieutenant. So I don't know what he expects to happen if he wants to get Young removed from command. Well, just uh, have him switch permanently with stones. Have him switch the stones permanently. Have him take... Oh, that would be interesting. They have not went near that yet, and certainly there have not been enough episodes yet, but certainly they can probably do that with a couple of the characters. That would be interesting. Absolutely useless. Get a couple of major league astrophysicists or a, a proper doctor on that ship with more medical knowledge than TJ to help handle certain situations. They haven't gone near that. No, information exchange is what is possible with those stones. So TJ's lack of knowledge is entirely unacceptable. Yeah, it's a liability. They can get around that. Well, the question is, how much is is Earth and Homeworld Command and the IOA going to think of the Destiny now as basically, this is our base, these are our people, we need to continue operating it as best we can, and how much are they just going to sort of write them off and say, unless they can figure 
a way to get home, there's not much we can really do for yeah. them. They're yeah. sort of of lost. They're MIA. That would be really interesting. Telford was originally supposed to be the mission commander to go through if if Rush ever got the ninth Chevron address to work. Colonel Telford was going to lead the team. That's Lou Diamond Phillips' character. That's that's a really interesting idea that he may be angling for a permanent link into permanent Young's swap. body. Because yeah. yeah, right now I'm I'm not I'm not seeing his motivation. He's you know he pops onto the ship. He goes and has a an informal debriefing session with TJ and Scott and decides based on that that he can evaluate the whole situation and make command decisions. It's comically ridiculous. Did you notice how quickly TJ picked up on the fact that it was no longer young but it was Telford? Yeah, she's good. She just, she just picked it up. She's Either good. that or she knows these two men really well. Yeah, and I think that that's what's being hinted at is that she knows young really well. But she knew that it was Telford. She didn't just know that it was not young. That's true. And Scott, again, is refusing a direct order from a superior officer again, just like he did when, when Young ordered him to help him go to the shuttle so that he could sacrifice himself. He has a good conscience on his shoulders. He, I mean, I don't want to paint him like Apollo, Liadama, but he knows the situation and he knows what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do and what is going to accomplish something and what is going to hinder the overall situation. I am waiting to see the guy mess up big time because that needs to happen sooner or later. The other thing that I wanted to, to bring up about Young's wife back on Earth, this is the second time now that one of the Destiny crew has gotten to go back and visit a family member using the communication stones. Uh, in both cases, that family member was a civilian who was let in on the secret, or at least mm-hmm. part of the secret. Mm-hmm. Now, the senator's wife, uh, apparently, I think we're, we're supposed to believe, was already privy to some of that knowledge just yes. based on the extent of the senator's involvement in all things Stargate, or at least Icarus. Young's wife, I don't think so. I, I think she was just briefed on on the fact yeah. that this guy is your husband who is off far, far away and is has used some technology, probably don't even want to call it alien, to take over his body for a little while. I mean, that's about mm-hmm. the minimum sort of briefing you can give her. So she's a civilian. You know, she's presumably has to sign a piece of paper. But other than that, are we going to keep doing this? Are we going to continue to let in let civilians, in. emotionally yeah. distraught civilians in on at least part of the secret? Well, we know at some point we're going to see Eli's mother again. So if Eli is going to make contact with his mother, how else are they going to do that except for letting them know that, yes, we have this technology, and Eli's in a position right now where he can't get to you himself, so this person is used as a conduit for your son to communicate with you. So here's your son. Yeah. Especially after the last person that they did this with, Mrs. Armstrong, threatened to expose the mm-hmm. Stargate program because she was so emotionally distraught. I would think that that would, that would cause the, the government to basically lock down the whole visit your family program. Uh, yeah. I don't think it can, can keep happening. And if, if the next one, I mean, if they get another red flag, I think it's, it's irresponsible of them to continue doing it. It would also be interesting from a story perspective if it was somebody like Eli going back to visit his mom if she does not get told. So he's taking over someone's body and then decides maybe he goes AWOL and and goes to visit her and does not tell her who he is. 
I yeah, think that'd be interesting. We've also uh, not addressed one of the bigger moments in the show, which is uh, James coercing Eli into a secret meeting with most of the minor characters that we're aware of now. We've got some dissent happening. They're not happy with the situation, and we may see uh, a coup at some point. Eli thought he was getting a little one-on-one session. Wow, I am so torn. (laughs) (laughs) I think Eli was crushing on Chloe a little bit. He does seem to be sort of the the boy-next-door friend. Peter Parker. (laughs) Just friends. I like Darkness. It's the first half of a two-parter. You can only judge it so far. I like getting to know these uh, these uh, supporting characters, and I love the use of the keynote to do that. Um, but uh, as we said at the top of the show, something needs to happen now. The pieces are in place, the board is set up, there is a, a problem in the works. Something needs to happen. Let's see the story now. Exactly the same sentiments. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with this next one. One of the big questions I have is... Uh, ship has been roaming alone for potentially millions of years by itself you know something tells me it's not just going to let itself be sucked into the sun something tells me it knows precisely what it is doing um whether it's going to open up a bunch of solar panels and get some energy or go through the sun and that's how it recharges itself or it requires the crew to check out these planets because on the planet's is something that the the ship needs. It's really interesting. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, just what's going to happen next in terms of you know discovering what the destiny is a little bit more and how it needs us if it needs us at all. Well, that's a very nice segue into my first quibble. It's quibble time. Your comment relates to my first quibble, which is: Did the destiny actually miscalculate its slingshot? Are we are we supposed to believe that now it's flying into the sun, whereas we thought it was going to fly close to the sun, and that was just because it, it miscalculated the slingshot maneuver? And the first time in millions of years that Destiny makes a fatal mistake and we're here for it, I don't buy that. I think that the ship is going to be recharged by what it is doing, or uh, it expects us to take care of some of its work for it. Um, now, if the latter is the case, then you then you start raising the possibility of of the viewer kind of sitting back and eh, we don't have to worry. Destiny knows what it's doing. Destiny fixes the problem itself every time by by doing exactly what it needs to do. So yeah. we don't have to worry. If they do that, then that is going to be a problem that's going to start creeping up in terms of the storytelling. But if they actively require us to go out and, and and get something because otherwise you know every episode just is just going to be about okay destiny has provided us with the answer to solve it and we don't have the option to fail because if we fail then we die then in every episode they're going to be getting exactly what they need to fix the problem and that's going to get real boring real fast that's honestly my fear going into part two of this episode is the destiny did not miscalculate its trajectory it's exactly what you said it's going to the sun because somehow that's that's how it recharges itself and it knows what it's doing and nothing that we I mean it's predestination nothing that we can do is going to affect the success or failure of what the destiny is doing so just sit back just sit back worry wring your hands cause another problem the destiny is going to take care of itself and us at the end of the day and um, that's a fear I have but I would be surprised if that's what happens next week does the ship have a bridge or is that primary shuttle the bridge? Where's the bridge on this thing? You're expecting like a comfy chair and a big view screen? I'm expecting some kind of a control room where, aside from that one where there's that big 
thing in the center of the room and you know there's a console nearby that doesn't look like a bridge to me the, the ship has got to have an operating center of some kind somewhere that we haven't really seen yet and the fact that i mean rush has said that you know we're essentially riding on autopilot and we just take it for granted you know that there's not a bridge in one of these decompressed sections. We just we just take the shuttle as a bridge. I think there very well may be. We just don't have access to it yet. I'd like to know if there is one or not because that's very strange. It would be interesting to to be able to find some sort of schematic of the ship and identify that there is a bridge and then talk about the fact that we can't get to it and it's a season or two before we can get to it. Which also springboards into the overall question. You know, is the fact that the ship is a runaway train by design? Or mm-hmm. is it because we're just in this situation right now that we can't control it yet, and at some point later in the series we will be able to fly it ourselves? I can't imagine that the ancients would have would have made it unflyable. Would have. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense that as soon as the ancients got there, they would have planned to turn off the autopilot yes. to be able to use the ship as they saw fit. The countdown is a storytelling tool, but practically it is it is very flawed because you risk losing crew members and you risk not getting the resources that you need in time just so that the ship can continue on its merry way as soon as yeah. as humanly possible to go to the next adventure. It's a storytelling device. Well, it's one that, that seems fundamental to the show and I'll be interested to see if it's one that they sacrifice after a year or two. Because the ship is not something that we're flying, it seems like we need to look out the window every so often. And this episode's a great example. The the Jeopardy at the end is uh, we need to look out the window to be able to see it. So everybody go to the shuttle. The shuttle's got a window we can look out. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than, you know, congregating on the observation deck. That's interesting. Cause mm-hmm. that, that little control room that Rush was in doesn't seem to have any windows. It's just mm-hmm. got the, the, the big roundy tower and some mm-hmm. interface consoles. Yeah, nothing akin to an engine core yet, or you know, the an engineering section where, where the star drive is housed. Yeah. Probably a very long engineering section. <laughs> well, I would imagine the ship's got to have all that stuff. We just don't have access to it yet. You know, we don't even have access to the core systems in the computer yet. Do you know that there isn't an edge to the universe? Uh, I think I had read that recently, maybe on the forum, but I was not aware of that. The, you the, can't peek, peek your head out but between the blinds and see what is out beyond the edge of the universe. Right. There's no uh, there's no rim to explore. Like in, that's what they called it in Babylon Five, out on the rim. The surface area of the universe is such that if you head out from Earth, you will eventually arrive back at Earth again. The universe bends as we're heading away from Earth. We're actually heading towards it, and I'm not sure if that's going to be used in the show. I'm not sure if they're actually considering that, but we're actually heading back. Towards Earth, I'm curious to see if they're going to to broach that. Mm, it seems pretty abstract for a for a casual TV audience to get. Well, let's wrap up quibbles by talking again about the age of the destiny. This was one <laughs> that we brought up last week that uh, a lot of people actually grabbed onto. This generated some good conversation, some good feedback. Somebody put the question to Joe Malazzi, and and he said, "I think what you and I were sort of." speculating on which is that you know rush had only been on board the ship for a few minutes he was sort of speaking off the cuff i think they compound it there's there's a couple statements which uh we touched on briefly in the main discussion uh the first one is volker says to dr rush the ship's been flying around for the better part of a million years which again puts us in the territory of a few hundred thousand or several hundred thousand years. Again, it's coming from a scientist. It's it's uh, another another instance 
And then the other thing is is uh, what you brought up: the Destiny systems predate the use of the technology, ancient technology, ancient technology activation gene, which is clearly before Atlantis. That would seem million years old to predate Atlantis. And and if you're trying to figure out what on earth are we quibbling about, um, the quibble is we thought that the Destiny project was much much older than Atlantis, and we know from the very first moment of Stargate Atlantis, several million years ago, Atlantis left Earth to go to the Pegasus Galaxy. So that means that Destiny should be millions and millions of years old instead of Mm -hmm. several hundred thousand. Which is consistent with what Brad has said, that the Stargate aboard was the first prototype. Steampunk gate. I love it. Hi, this is depleted VPM calling from the San Francisco Bay Area. The subject of Destiny's Age keeps coming back both in SGU dialogue and in the Gate World forums. Destiny is generally accepted to be pre-Lantean, which should be at least five million years ago. Yet, in darkness, the ship's age was estimated at close to a million years. What gives? I suggest that folks are overlooking time dilation. Let's remember the SGA episode, The Return, where there were real, live ancients reaching the vicinity of Midway some 10,000 years post-Atlantis evacuation. Yet for the whole trip, the ancients on board would have aged no more than 12 years, according to McKay's estimate, because of time dilation from traveling at high sublight rather than going through hyperspace. Depleted ZPM, what a great name. So uh, this is an interesting theory. He suggests that the, the discrepancy that we're identifying could be explained by time dilation, since FTL is traveling so fast. He points to... Atlantis Season 3's The Return. Well, when we're flying at FTL, we use those communication stones and go back home and talk in real time. That's true. That's a good point. Even when the ship is at FTL. Ah. Mm -hmm. Punched a hole in your theory, depleted ZPM. I am sorry. I don't know. I like that idea. Well, come back at us. Maybe there's a little bit more life left in the theory. (laughs) How do you uh, talk in real time with communication stones? if you're being affected by relativity. Maybe we need to have someone like uh, Scalzi tell us what that is. Well, I think that's all we have to say about darkness this week. We've got full coverage on Gate World if you want to visit. This week and every week, we've got a summary of the episode. We have hundreds upon hundreds of HD screen grabs in the gallery. Uh, We have a review of the episode. We have a full transcript of the episode if you want to go back and double-check some dialogue. So there you have it. Don't miss light this week. We'll come back and talk about it. Listener mail. Hi, guys. This is Candace in California. I really, really enjoyed Darkness. Um, I think this is really the episode that's really showing the difference between you know, this new series and what we've always seen in the Stargate franchise. And, you know, that big story, big action, a lot of um, special effects, and just you know, a bit of character here and there. Hey guys, it's Jeremy Solo from Michigan again. Uh, I just had some feedback about the comment you guys made in the Air Parts 1 and 2 show, where you asked, if Atlantis is older than the Destiny, why does it have a newer gate? Well, I think Atlantis probably did have a Destiny-style gate when it was constructed, but it was replaced and upgraded over time. I mean, we do that with our phones when we get, like, a newer cordless phone to replace our wired phones. So I'm sure the ancients could do pretty much the same thing. It's certainly possible, but I think the Destiny, we really need to have have someone come out and say that the Destiny is the oldest 
uh, ancient architecture that we have ever seen. I like the theory, though. Don't pop everybody's balloons tonight. I think you're right. I think that uh, once we start getting specific with the information that we're given on the show, mm-hmm. it needs to be clarified that the Destiny and its Stargate system is older. Older than Atlantis. The producers have said as much. Uh, mm-hmm. I was looking at going through our episode guide and looking at old comments that yeah. Brad had made in interviews uh, over the course of the last couple months, and he said in, in an interview that that these Stargates, not only do they predate Atlantis, uh, Pegasus Gates, and Milky Way Gates, but um, they're they're almost prototype gates. He mm-hmm. said, I think he said that, that they don't even necessarily have enough power to dial anywhere in their galaxy. They have actually a limited range with mm-hmm. a seven Chevron address, which I found interesting. Which raises the question, then who's writing all the dialogue for these characters? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Ashlyn from Winnipeg. I just have a couple of comments about the podcast and the show. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say you guys need to calm down about the sex scene. It's not a big deal. Uh, I, I don't know why the fandom is up in arms over this. Uh, second of all, in contrast to some of your comments a couple of weeks ago, I really like the short, uh, the title screen type intro. The colors are pretty, it doesn't take time out of the storytelling, and really no one needs to see the same 45 seconds of character portraits each week so i think this is really a big improvement over the old one hey what's up gate world it's john from tennessee darkness is really interesting it moved a little slowly but it really gave us a little bit more insight into who eli like how he's kind of like getting into chloe and stuff and um the scene with them going through that gas giant was very interesting i mean that was just a beautiful special effects uh, spiel. Hey, this is Matt from Harrisonburg, first time caller. Love listening to your show. You know, I had the bar raised so high for the show, being a huge SG-1 and Atlantis fan, that I was, you know, I must admit I was a bit disappointed because after three episodes, but it was a bit disappointing when you look at the overall. I know you guys get into the story and you dissect it, you know, every little itsy-bitsy part of it, you really dig into it and that. You raised a lot of great questions, but when you back away from the series and you look at it as an overall show, it just doesn't seem like a whole lot's happened yet. I'm like, give me some aliens, give me a little bit of action, I'll give it a chance. You know, this is a huge leap in the Stargate franchise. I just hope they didn't bite off more than they can chew. I know, not much has happened yet, and frankly, I'm loving it. (laughs) In In terms of plot, moving, in terms of story, not much has happened yet. Let's get to know the characters a little bit, have a little bit of plot going on alongside, and then when the story really happens, we'll be motivated to care about them. Yeah, in contrast to Enemy at the Gate, the Atlantis finale, which was, which was about a three-parter packed into 44 minutes. I'm liking the slower pace. I'm liking getting to know the characters. But I, mm-hmm. I agree with Matt. There has not been a lot going on yet, and I'm ready. I'm ready to, to get a little bit of action and adventure in there. <laughs> Hi, my name is Teresa from the Forum, 335, and I'm from California. I have to say I'm really enjoying the show. It's SGU. I like this episode. It was cool. It had funny moments. I like the Eli and Chloe moments, although I can't really see them as a couple. They're more like girl next door, best friend with the geeky guy, friendship. Hi, this is Calhoun in the U.K., 
In response to Darren's comments about SGU not being an 8pm show, how it's aimed at an older audience and a later time slot, I'd like to point out that on Sky 1 in the UK, SGU is shown at 8pm. This meant that the sex scene in Air Part 1 was edited out, and the later scenes between Scott and Lieutenant James didn't make much sense as a result. I'm worried that future episodes may also be edited in this fashion, and while I'm sure there are viewers that would welcome that particular scene's removal, I fear that key character development may be missed out in future, due to Sky 1's showing SGU before the watershed, in the same time slot as they did SG-1 and Atlantis. You are listening to the Gateworld Podcast. A lot of people have brought up in the last couple of weeks that I've, I've read on Gateworld, look at the other shows. Look at where they were in episode four and how well yeah. you did or rather did not know the characters. Look at how Sam Carter was behaving in Brock uh. and Divide. That one was, was pointed out uh, on the website this this last week. Uh, you know, she was she was kind of a, a sex bot. She was under the influence of an alien virus, but she tackled Jack in the locker room. I want you. Tried to have his babies, but you know that's that's uh, episode four. Daniel was chewing on a great big, ridiculous <laughs> uh, bone. Comically large. <laughs> Pro Magnum mutton Daniel. leg. Well, if you guys have more thoughts about darkness, you can always call in the podcast hotline if you didn't get in this week. Uh, otherwise, tell us what you think about Light. That airs Friday night at 9 p.m. 8 Central on Sci-Fi in the U.S. 10 o'clock on Space in Canada. And you can call us, what did we say, by Monday night? By Monday night. Monday night if you want to get your comments on the show. Otherwise, call yep. anyway. If it's about last week's episode, call anyway and we'll we'll make sure to get it into the show. That's all the show we've got this week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the podcast. David, how can they call? They can call by picking up their phone and dialing or getting online and using Skype for two cents a minute, I think the exchange rate is, at 616-712-1647. And you can call day or night. Leave us your comments. Let us hear your voices. Let us hear your crackpot theories. And uh, just talk to us. Or email us a brief audio recording, MP3, please. Yeah. So, and you can always leave comments in the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld forum or the show notes for this episode this week. If you don't want to call the hotline and leave a voicemail, this uh, email it. That's a great idea. I think that's a good way to do it, especially if you don't live in the U.S. So, thanks for joining us. We had a good time. Good times.